Hello, everyone, and welcome to Intermediate English, episode two, with me, Benjamin. I hope you're all doing well. Today's episode is about one of the most well-known cities in the world, London. Maybe you know quite a bit about London already. You might be wondering what I can say that you don't already know. I'll try to tell you a few things about London that might surprise you, and I'll also tell you all about my experience of living there to give you an insider's perspective on what the city is like. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, if you haven't already done so, you might want to check out episode one. It's called "Why You Should Learn English," but in a way, the title is a bit misleading. It's really more about the different ways that you can learn English. There are lots of different techniques there that I would recommend. So take a look. But now back to this episode. Have a great trip to London. I grew up in a city about forty-five minutes away from London, and London was always there. It was always somewhere that we could visit, that we could go to, and. I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time there when I was a kid, so I have lots of memories of visiting the city. Often we went to see musical theatre or plays that were on in the West End or at the National Theatre. We sometimes went to museums and art galleries. So I was really lucky in having the opportunity to experience lots of the cultural highlights of the city while I was young, and my experiences as a child gave me this idea that I really wanted to live in London when I was old enough to leave home, and after I'd gone to university, gone to college. So when I was twenty-three, I had the opportunity to move to London, to go back to university and to carry on studying, and to discover what this city was really like for myself. So let me tell you a bit about it. First, we're going to take a look at the history of London, and find out how this city came to be the way that it is today. London is a very old city. There's evidence of settlement around the area from around six thousand BC, BC before Christ, so about eight thousand years ago. As I was saying, there's evidence of settlement from around six thousand BC by hunter-gatherers, our ancestors. So the area has been populated for a really long time. By forty-three A.D., Britain was part of the Roman Empire, and the city Londinium was founded on the River Thames. 
The River Thames is the river that runs through London. It's spelt T-H-A-M-E-S, so it's a pretty unorthodox pronunciation, but we're really keen on that sort of thing in Britain. And when the Romans left, London continued to be inhabited. We have examples of things that were constructed during that time, for example, St. Paul's Cathedral was originally founded in 604 AD, not the current building, and we'll come to that later. Skip forward a couple of hundred years, and we get to 1078, which is when the Tower of London is built. This is shortly after Britain has just been invaded by William the Conqueror, who came from Normandy in France in 1066. So 12 years after that, 1078, and the Tower of London is built. It's a really iconic tourist destination today, almost a thousand years after it was built. This was primarily built as a defensive structure in order to keep the people of London obedient. Now, throughout the Middle Ages, London developed as a centre of trade, and really became the commercial centre of the region, with links across Europe, particularly with the low countries nearby, cities like Antwerp and Bruges, but also with cities far away from London, for example in Russia and other parts of Northern Europe, as well as France and Spain and many other countries. So, as you can imagine, with London becoming more economically prosperous, it was also becoming a pretty densely populated city, which it still is today. And with densely populated cities, they are a lot more vulnerable to things like disease. And that's exactly what happened in 1665 with the Great Plague. The plague was a disease that had been around for some time. Although this wasn't the first big epidemic in Britain, um, it was a really significant one, and 100,000 Londoners died. This period of the mid-1660s was a pretty unfortunate one for Londoners, because the following year was the Great Fire of London, in which much of the city burned. The fire raged for five days and burnt down around 13,000 houses, and it also burnt down St Paul's Cathedral along with 87 other churches. St Paul's Cathedral was then rebuilt, Work started a few years later in 1675 and finished in 1710. And that is the design which you'll see if you visit St Paul's today, designed by Sir Christopher Wren. It's still a really magnificent building. There are a number of places in London you can see it on the skyline. For example, Primrose Hill. Obviously, it's dwarfed by some of the taller buildings around it, we say dwarfed if something is made to seem a lot smaller in comparison to other taller things. So St Paul's Cathedral is dwarfed by some of the new skyscrapers that are built in an area called the Square Mile, which is right next to St Paul's. Nevertheless, it's still a majestic building and really worth visiting.
the Great Fire of 1666, which claimed St. Paul's Cathedral, wasn't the only great fire to have significantly shaped London's architectural history. There was also the Great Fire of 1834. This fire took with it the Palace of Westminster, the home of the British Parliament. Work started soon after that on reconstructing it. It was rebuilt in a neo-Gothic style, which was very popular at the time. The reconstruction of the Palace of Westminster also included a building which was originally named St. Stephen's Tower. Well, you might not have heard of that, but you've probably heard of Big Ben, which is a very tall clock tower. You can also see a silhouette of Big Ben if you take a look at the artwork for this podcast. It's actually part of our logo. Bonus points if you can work out why. So London, as we know it today, was really shaped by a number of events, including two great fires. But London owes its status to its position in the centre of the British Empire. The East India Company was one of the first joint stock companies in the world, and it was founded in 1600 in London. The East India Company later became the backbone of the British Empire, something that we mentioned in the last episode as well because it's really difficult to talk about British history and to understand anything about British history without really having some sense of how the empire fits into that. So if you wander around London past Big Ben, you'll get to Whitehall. It's just in between Big Ben and Trafalgar Square. It's full of imperial architecture, very grand buildings. Today, it hosts a lot of government buildings, government departments. The 19th century was in many ways the sort of high point of British imperial power. And there was an event in London which was pretty instrumental for showing this to the rest of the world. And that was the Great Exhibition of 1851. During the mid-19th century, there was a whole series of things called World's Fairs. Now... These were all huge exhibitions, all divided up according to different parts of the world, allowing you to see the technology, the costumes, and people from different parts of the world as well. In the age before television and before mass media, this was a way of getting some kind of visual idea of where you sat within the world, what other countries look like, what their people look like. And these exhibitions were really instrumental in creating this sense of the individuality of different countries. But it was also an opportunity for Britain to show off its technology to the rest of the world. This was the first of the World's Fairs, and it was an incredibly popular event. There was a temporary building built to house it called the Crystal Palace, built on the south side of Hyde Park. The exhibition could welcome over 100,000 people every day, 
which at the time was equivalent to 5% of the city's population. 100,000 people visiting in one day. In 1851, that was a really substantial number of people. In many ways, this period of the 19th century was a real high point for London. I think Londoners really consider themselves in this period to be at the centre of the world. Some would argue that maybe they still do. London remained a really iconic city. And despite the decline of the British Empire in the 20th century... There were so many cultural developments, not least in the areas of music and art, that made London a really exciting, vibrant and iconic city. So maybe you're wondering what London is like now. The first thing to know about London is that it's a really huge city. It has a population of 9 million people, which is slightly more than New York. And people are pretty squashed into London, certainly if you compare it to other European capitals. For example, London has around three times more people than Berlin, the capital of Germany. But London is only one and a half times bigger than Berlin in terms of area on the ground. So that means that the population is about twice as dense as Berlin. London is a pretty young city in terms of its inhabitants. On average, Londoners are four years younger than the average for the UK as a whole. London has a really diverse population from all across the world. Most Londoners have at least one parent who was born outside the UK. And the 2011 census, which is the most recent one that we have at the time of me recording, showed that 36% of London's population were born outside of the UK meaning that London is the city with the second largest immigrant population in the world, behind only New York City. And how do Londoners make their money? Well, in lots of different ways. But London is really renowned for its financial sector. It hosts almost 500 overseas banks, banks from abroad, and London has an entire district, which is called The City, with a capital C. And that is dedicated to finance, banking, insurance companies, that sort of thing. In such a large city, how do you get from your home to your office? Well, most people get around using the underground system, which is colloquially known in London as the tube. This is the world's oldest metro system. If you have time and the inclination, you can get around the city by boat, or if you want, you can hire a bike. It's not very expensive. I would just say that compared to cities that I visited, like Copenhagen and Amsterdam, London is not a very safe place to cycle. 
it is becoming a little bit better and it has some dedicated cycle routes, but very often you're put in the bus lane. And that means you're sharing the road with the biggest vehicles in the road. Yeah, it's a bit dangerous, at least if you don't know where you're going. Like I mentioned earlier, I had a dream when I was young to live in London and I was able to realize that dream when I was 23 and I moved to London and lived there for three years. So I'll tell you what my experience of the city is. The first thing to tell you is a pretty significant one with London, which is that it's a really expensive city. Rental prices are really high. If you're looking at finding somewhere to live within around 45 minutes of the centre of the city, your average rent is going to be around 2000 to £2,500 per month. And that's for a one-bedroom flat. When we say one-bedroom flat in the UK, that means a bedroom, living room, kitchen, bathroom, and that's it. 2000 to 2500 pounds a month. That's a lot of money. It can be pretty expensive to eat as well, and your bills, the things that you pay on top of your rent, are also going to be expensive. So not everyone can afford to live in London. Actually, that's a really British understatement. It's really expensive to live in London. Like a lot of big cities, London is really noisy. The tube goes all around the city, and if you live within a few hundred metres of it, you'll probably hear it all day and most of the night. The tube itself gets really overcrowded, and it's not the cheapest system in the world. You will often find, if you're travelling at rush hour, you can also say peak hours, So that means between around 7.30 and 10 o'clock in the morning or around 4 in the afternoon until around 7. Yeah, long rush hours. Uh, You'll probably find that there's not a lot of space in your carriage on the tube and that you'll be pressed into somebody's armpit. I guess all of that is pretty normal for a big city, but... It's not necessarily everyone's dream image of going to London, so I just feel it's my duty to warn you. London is also really polluted. The pollution level is falling year on year, which is great, but it's still really high. London has broken the EU air quality standards, the air quality standards set down by the European Union, for years on end now. Another way of saying that is that London's pollution levels are not, and have not been for some time, legal. Have I completely put you off visiting London ever? Well, before you rule it out completely, I should tell you that there are some great things about London that I discovered while I was living there. Firstly, it's a really green city. Not necessarily green in terms of environmental, but what I mean is there are a lot of parks. 
I was really lucky to be able to live near parks and green spaces for the entire time that I lived in the city. To get away from the buzz of the city, the noise of the city, these parks are a wonderful way to spend a couple of hours. Also, this might surprise you, London can get pretty warm in the summer, especially around July and August. Sometimes 30, 35 degrees Celsius. When you have weather like that, you need to head to a park and get an ice cream straight away. Having said that, some friends of mine from the south of France visited one year in July while I lived in London, and it rained all week. It was also pretty cold every day, around 12 or 13 degrees Celsius. Unfortunately, they had booked in advance to do a boat tour on the canal, and they were absolutely freezing. So I don't want to make any promises to you about the weather in London. If you're visiting as a tourist, then there are some fantastic things that you can do, like visiting the excellent galleries and museums that London has. A lot of them are free, and that's something that's pretty unusual and I think really great about London, that you can visit so many fantastic museums and galleries for free. London also has an amazing theatre scene, notably in the West End, which is the part of London where there are lots of musicals, musical theatre productions. There's also the National Theatre, which has three different theatres inside it, and is just a really fantastic place to go and hang out if you have some free time. If you're interested in music, then there are so many different places you can go in London. But since I'm telling you a bit about my experience, I'll recommend two places. One of them is the Barbican Centre, which has all sorts of different spaces in it. But one of them is a concert hall where you can see the London Symphony Orchestra pretty regularly. And they have lots of fantastic ticket deals. So you might be able to see a really world-class classical music concert for not so much money. The Barbican itself is a 1980s building. It's a really great place to relax, to see some art, and to listen to music. It's got an art gallery in it, as well as a theatre, and a cinema, and a few restaurants and cafes. So it's a great place to go, see some art, see a show, and listen to music. I'd also really recommend visiting Ronnie Scott's, which is one of the most famous jazz clubs in the world. It's got an incredible history. It's welcomed so many international artists. And it has a wonderful atmosphere. Not that expensive, especially if you're a student. Something else about London, and this might surprise you, is that it's got fantastic food. Contrary to stereotypes about British cuisine, food in the UK can be really good. In London, I had wonderful food. In London, you can taste so many different international cuisines. I had fantastic Japanese, Korean, Indian, Spanish, Italian food, you name it. Why are there so many different options for international food? It's because of the diversity that we talked about earlier. 
the fact that so many Londoners came from other countries or their parents came from other countries and many of them brought their cuisines with them and London is a richer, more diverse and exciting place because of all of these different cultures mixing. London also has many fantastic pubs. That's a really traditional British experience to go to a good pub. In London, lots of them are busy all day. Most of them serve food and there's everything from modern, trendy bars all the way over to old-fashioned, wood-panelled places. It's quite common in London for people to go for a drink after work. So in certain parts of London, particularly around the city with a capital C, you'll see lots of people standing around outside the pubs, drinking their pints and chatting with their friends and colleagues. If you want to go shopping while you're in London, obviously you can go to Oxford Street and there are hundreds of high street shops. But one of the best things about London is the range of affordable vintage clothes you can find in Brick Lane, Notting Hill, Camden and a number of other places around the city. There are also fantastic charity shops. Charity shops are really popular in Britain. They're places where you can buy mostly books and clothes and a few other things at really good prices and the money goes to charity. So you get a nice piece of clothing or a nice book and you also support a charity at the same time, which I think is great. Everyone wins. There are loads of charity shops around London and the clothes can be really great value, so I'd recommend that. If you've managed to do all of that, you can just wander around the city and take it all in. There are so many different styles and periods of architecture in London. There's not a lot you can see from before the Great Fire of London in 1666, but there are a lot of buildings built after that, and you can even see the Globe Theatre which is a recreation of Shakespeare's own theatre, which was built in 1599. It's recreated to look like an authentic building from the period. You can see some of London's old city walls, not that far from St Paul's. And one of the really exciting things about London is that you have all of these different architectural styles mixed in together, right next to the modern buildings, like the Shard, you can see 19th century buildings, Georgian buildings from the 18th century, all mixed in together. And I think that's a fantastic metaphor for the city. It's a marriage of old and new. If you're planning on visiting London, then there are three places that I would like to particularly recommend that you visit. None of these three are in the top 10 sightseers lists, the lists of the most visited sites in London. And all three of them are free to visit. Number one is Holland Park. I could have picked a number of different parks, but I'm in London at the moment and I've spent a lot of time there recently 
So at the moment, I guess it's the one that I know the best. It's a pretty small park. You can walk across it in about five or 10 minutes, but it's got so much diversity. It's got a bit of woodland. It's got a Japanese garden. It's got a park for sport. It's got a tennis court, a children's play area, all sorts of different things as well that I haven't mentioned. Number two is go and visit the Regent's Canal. This is the main canal in London. Whilst it's not as big as the River Thames, you can walk along pretty much all of the canal, which will take you all the way from East London to West, or West to East. You can walk along the canal for hours. It's so peaceful. It's a pretty quick way to get around as well because there's no traffic. There are some really quirky riverboats. By quirky, I mean pretty interesting and a bit unusual. Some of them have bookshops on them, some of them have bicycle repair shops, all sorts of things. And the third and final recommendation that I'll give you is the Sir John Soane's Museum. It used to be the home of the architect John Soane. It was founded in 1837, the year that he died, and the house has been preserved pretty much as it was in 1837. John Soane was a really interesting man. Alongside his career as an architect, he collected objects from around the world. And you can see thousands of sculptures, paintings, and all sorts of objects which he collected throughout his life. As an architect, he actually designed a lot of buildings which never got built, and he worked together with a painter to produce a piece of art which shows London in the early 19th century, but without any of the buildings that were really there, instead filled with all the buildings from his imagination. And it's a fantastic painting to go and see. So those are a few suggestions for this city, a city which I would really recommend that you visit. It's a perfect city for visiting for a few days. There are so many free attractions. If I'm going to give you one piece of advice, I would say, don't just do what everyone else is doing. Walk around the city and find your own little paths because you'll definitely find something that surprises you. So I hope you enjoyed listening today and I hope that you learned something and that you'll come back for some more. The next episode is going to be a bit different. It's about a topic which spans philosophy, biology, economics, many other fields. And I'm an expert in none of those fields. What I want to do instead is introduce you to the topic, give you the chance to pick up some vocabulary from a number of different fields, and hopefully provoke you to think about the subject in a different way. I think it's a pretty interesting subject, and I hope you will too. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with anyone else you know who's learning English. As I'm recording this, Intermediate English is less than a week old, so you can help us out by spreading the word. You can also leave the show a five-star rating, 
or if you like, you can review it on Apple Podcasts. So thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you.